0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. My dear faithful, whenever our Lord performed miracles during His public life, He did so in order to instruct us. There was always something beyond what we can see, some truth beyond the senses that He wanted to teach us about by the fact that He performed a miracle. Of course, this is most true of His greatest miracle, which is His resurrection. He rose from the dead in order to teach us an important truth, his power over life and death, and his power over sin. So you think about it, if someone raises themselves from the dead, and you think about, well, what kind of power would you have to have to be able to bring yourself back to life after you had died, you would quickly come to the conclusion, well, you would... You would have to have power over life itself, to be able to restore your life after you have died. And if if this person has power over life itself, then he must have power also over death. He's, He's not only able to conquer death, but he's able to conquer that which causes death. What causes death? What is the source of death? Where does death come from? We all know that, from from St. Paul to the Romans, that death comes from sin. It's sin that begot death. Um, Death was not in the original plan of God, but but through sin, death entered into the world. So if our Lord has power over death, then he also has power over sin. He has the power to wipe away our sins. There's a famous passage in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where, where he's, he wants to make sure that people are making this connection, that, that they, they understand that their belief in the resurrection of our Lord is also a belief that he has the power to wipe out sin. Here's, here's what he says in that passage. Now if Christ be preached that he arose again from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen again. And if Christ be not risen again, your faith is vain, for you are yet in your sins. If he didn't have the power to raise himself from the dead, then he hasn't really proven that he can wipe away sin. The miracle of the resurrection shows us another truth. It was done to manifest the truth that our Lord has the power to wipe out sins. So too, if if this is the purpose of of our Lord's miracles, to instruct us with today's miracle, we should be asking ourselves the question, why did our Lord work this miracle? Why did did He multiply these loaves and fishes to feed 4,000 people? What sort of truth is He pointing to through the working of this miracle? What kind of instruction am I supposed to be taking when I observe our Lord working this miracle out in the desert? Well, there's something unique about this miracle that He performed in today's Gospel. We, when we read all, all, all the miracles, all these wonderful stories of, of the wonders that, that our Lord worked, most of the time the, the miracles are worked on individual people, on a single person. Perhaps He's curing a man who's crippled, or a man who is blind. Perhaps He's casting a devil, out of this or that person. Perhaps he's raising this individual person from the dead. So most of his miracles are on individual people. But today's miracle is for a great crowd of people. And and whenever we see him working miracles that involve food and drink, it's for a lot of people. It's not just for one person. So the the wedding feast of Cana, when, when he... When he makes this wine, uh, the water, miraculously transform into wine, um, it's, it's in order to provide wine for the whole wedding maker, for all the guests who are there. When he multiplies the loaves and the fishes in, in today's Gospel, um, the, the, the Gospel says it's for 4,000 people. It's for multiple people. So, the first thing to be noticed about this miracle is that it's for a crowd of people, not for an individual person, and I think we learn from, from this miracle that, that our Lord is, is not only able to nourish this person or that person, but He's able to nourish everybody. He's able to feed the entire world. Our Lord has the power to feed the entire world. I think this is a lesson that we're meant to take from this miracle. We get, we get the impression that it really didn't matter how many people were there. It could have been 10,000 people. It could have been a million people. It could have been all the people in the world. The apostles would have just continued handing out the loaves and the fishes. There would have been enough to go around because the source of that nourishment was infinite. Our Lord had the power to produce as many loaves and fishes as were necessary to feed however many people were there. We see this especially in the abundance of the loaves and fishes. Um, the, 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 the Latin word is sataravit. Our, our Lord satisfied everybody. Everybody ate as much as they needed. They were hungry. They'd been there three days. They exhausted their picnic baskets. And, and there was no food. And they were just sitting there. And they, they were very hungry. And so our, our Lord feeds them. They, they, they have a good appetite. But even after they eat as much as they can, Still, it takes seven baskets to to take the leftovers and collect them. So recall that on another occasion, our Lord did the same miracle, and there were 5,000 people there. So again, we get the impression it doesn't really matter how many people are there. Our Lord can feed everybody. He's able to feed everybody. And we should not be surprised that in John chapter 6... The day after he does this multiplication of the loaves, he teaches the people about the miracle of the Holy Eucharist. We know what happens in this miracle of the Holy Eucharist. In the Holy Eucharist, our Lord feeds the entire world. Even though he is one person, he gives his body and his blood. But he gives it in so many different places throughout the world. Whoever, whoever wants to approach our Lord... They come to the communion rail, and they are satisfied, and they walk away. Their souls are nourished. Our Lord has the capacity to feed all. This miracle that He works today is is like a, a symbol, it's a foreshadowing of His nourishment of souls through the Holy Eucharist, throughout the world, throughout the whole history of the world. From that point until the end of time, our Lord will be nourishing the world When he instructed the people in John chapter 6, he said, The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. It's for the entire world. Another thing for us to notice about this beautiful miracle is the reason why it was worked. Our Lord has compassion on the crowd. He's observing. They're so captivated by him even after they run out of food, they don't leave him. They, they remain. And and so they have no resources. And their bodies are getting weak because they have nothing to eat. Our Lord sees the situation. He says to himself, if if I if I finally tell them to go, because they're waiting for him to say, okay, I'm done speaking. I'm done talking to you. Now you can go. They've been there three days. And, and if he tells them, okay, now I'm done, and you can go back home. He knows that, that they've, They've been um, fasting for so long that they're going to faint along the way. They're going, they're going to, to collapse because they, they don't have sufficient energy. This too is a symbol for us. It's a foreshadowing of the nourishment that the Holy Eucharist gives us. Our Lord looks at us and he sees us living in this spiritual wilderness, the world, um, you know, the, the world of our secular democracies, the world of our materialistic um, lifestyles that, that we live today. And, and he sees that we're, we're really spiritually impoverished. Um, we, we, we don't have wherewith to sustain ourselves, to keep up our spiritual energy. Our souls are going to perish. If he, if he just dismisses us and says, take care of yourselves, do it, do it yourselves, you know, have a good life we're not going to be able to sustain the life of our souls. Our souls will die. We will die on the way to our home, which is heaven. And so what, what does our Lord do? He has, he has compassion upon us in, this, in the wilderness of, the, of this world. He steps forward to feed our own souls with his body and blood. This is exactly what he said again in, in John chapter 6. He says, Amen, amen, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you shall not have life in you. You say, I'm I'm already nourished. I'm, I'm spiritually fit. I have a lot of spiritual energy. I don't need the Eucharist. Well, you will find that, that you will die. You, you, you will perish. You, you will not be able to sustain your spiritual forces and make it to heaven. Well... When we see this teaching and, and, the, and the, the symbol that, that is represented in this parable, hopefully we appreciate better the spiritual nourishment that we receive from our Lord. And we ask ourselves, who, who can nourish us spiritually? Who can actually feed my soul by, by coming into me uh, in, in this great mystery of the Holy Eucharist? Um, are we actually nourished in our soul? A secular person coming to this Mass today and observing what we do, where we come up to the communion rail, and, and, and the priest gives you what, what looks to be bread. It just looks like a little piece of bread. And if they were observing that, they would say, what's going on here? This is, this is a joke. These people are claiming to be nourished spiritually in their souls by this little piece of what looks like bread. Are they actually becoming holier? By doing this, the, the appearances are no. Appearances are, you're just receiving a little piece of bread, that's it. That's it. You may recall the last time I was here, it was the solemnity of Corpus Christi. and I spoke to you about the admirable defense of the Holy Eucharist that was given by St. John Fisher in 1527 against John Ocolamparius. And all the arguments, that I mentioned the 14 arguments that he gave... Um, at, uh, in, in this defense, I'm not going to go back over those 14, but, but I'm, I'm going to mention that, that one of them, I remind you that, that one of the arguments that he gives there is that people who receive the Holy Eucharist are changed. If you observe, if that secular person observed people and tracked them, he would see that over time they do become holier by the reception of the Holy Eucharist. There is a track record. In the past 2,000 years, where people receive the Holy Eucharist devoutly, they are made holier, they are transformed in their lives, they are made into different people. If the Eucharist were just ordinary food, it, it would have no effect on people, you know, it, 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 would, it would just walk away being the exact same. But what we see, on the contrary, is that the devout reception of the Holy Eucharist transforms people. St. John Fisher, he gives the example, the first example he gives is is the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles, it it talks about the life of the early Christians. And it says that they were all continuing steadfast in the teaching of the apostles and in, in the sharing of the breaking of the bread and in prayers. These three things. And his comment is this. Surely the preaching of the word was very beneficial, but without the other two, the Holy Eucharist, and the prayers. This, at length, grew cold. As we also see happening every day, among the Protestants, they got rid of the Holy Eucharist, and they got rid of, of the, the liturgy, and they just stuck with the preaching. It was just a bunch of preaching. And he's saying the effect on them is they're, they're losing their fervor, they're losing their holiness, whereas we, like the apostles who are continuing the reception of the Holy Eucharist, we are growing holier. He says, Surely it was from the pious reception of the sacrament in the case of the martyrs that such constancy flowed that when they had been inebriated with His blood, they feared not at all to pour out their blood for Christ in turn. The reception of the Holy Eucharist by the first Christians was transforming their lives and was giving them the strength to lay down their lives for our Lord. That is the, the proof, that is one of the proofs of the evidence that this food does change us. You know, God in His mercy has willed not only to give us the evidence in, in, this, in this way that, that the Eucharist is truly our Lord, but He has also wanted to give other evidences, other miracles after the life of our Lord, that our Lord truly is the source of life. That the Holy Eucharist that we receive life through the Holy Eucharist. Just as our Lord said it in John chapter six: we receive life. When you're increased in your spiritual life, you are increased in life itself. You have more of life because your real life is in your soul. So our Lord um, God has has willed that some miracles be performed by curing cures happening. Through the Blessed Sacrament, that, that people be cured through a blessing of the Blessed Sacrament. So I just want to give you one of these stories. It's one of the most famous miracles at Lourdes. You know, God, God uh, our Lady went to the trouble to show Saint Bernadette this this miraculous pool of water, and this, this water came up and it cured many people. But, but by the dispositions of God, sometimes God does not want the water to work. But he wants the blessing of the priests, with the Blessed Sacrament, to be the means by which these people are cured. There was a man in the late 1800s by the name of Gabriel Gargan, a Frenchman who was raised in the Catholic faith, but he lost the faith early on, when he was just 15 years old. And he went on to become a postal worker. And, and what he would do is he would ride in the train, when the, when the train is, is, is going to a different place to deliver the, the mail. And he would be sorting the mail on, on the train. And one time, one day, he was, he was doing this on the train. And the train he was on collided with another train at the speed of 50 miles an hour. And he was, he was thrown from the train 52 feet. And from, from that point, they, they, they picked him up. He was, he was, he was unconscious for, for seven hours. He was he was paralyzed from his waist down. He he was bedridden. Um, he he started collecting this workman's comp from from the from the postal company. You know, he he had to be fed through a tube, and he could only be fed that way once every twenty four hours. And there he was in his in his sort of fallen away state and. He had an aunt who was a nun, and, and, and this aunt was saying, Gabriel, go to Lourdes. You should go to Lourdes and ask Our Lady for a cure. And he, and he, he refused. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not going. Um, and his, his aunt kept persevering and asking him, and then his mother also asked him. And he finally decided that, okay, I will go but to, for, to, to please his mother. So he goes to Lourdes, and he actually made his confession and his communion at Lourdes. And they go to all this trouble to put him in the water and, and take him out of the water. And and this was a huge effort for him in, in, in his condition. And not only did it not cure him, but he, when he came out of the water, he, he fainted, and, and people, the, the, the people who brought him there, they, they thought he'd actually died. You know, maybe they thought he died and and gone to heaven because because he just made his, his confession holy communion. But so they, they, even, they even put a cloth over him, like when you do when, when people are dead, um, and they, they started to take him back to, to the hotel, take his body. When they encountered a procession of the Blessed Sacrament, I just want to read to you what, what happened next from this article. It says, They stood aside to let the procession pass, having placed a cloth over the face of the man whom they supposed to be dead. As the priest passed, carrying the sacred host, he pronounced benediction over the sorrowful group around the covered body. Soon there was a movement from under the covering. To the amazement of the bystanders, the body raised itself to a sitting posture. While the family were looking on dumbfounded, and the specters gazed in amazement, Gabriel said in a full strong voice that he wanted to get up. They thought it was a delirium before death and tried to soothe him. But he was not to be restrained. He got up and stood erect, walked a few paces, and said that he was cured. The multitude looked in wonder and then fell on their knees and thanked God. As Gabriel had on him only invalids' clothes, he returned to the carriage and was wheeled back to the hotel. There he was soon dressed and proceeded to walk about as if nothing had ever ailed him. For two years, hardly any food had passed his lips, but now he sat down to the table and ate meal. So my dear faithful, our Lord's miracle in today's gospel is a sign to us, a proof to us that he has the power to nourish the entire world, and especially that he has the capacity to nourish our souls, and we have a very great need to be so nourished if we do not have that nourishment, if our souls are not nourished by our Lord, they become paralyzed, they become very weak, and eventually die. So, on this Sunday, I want to invite you to to think about what it might have been like to be there when our Lord made this miracle of of the loaves and the fishes, and and to think, oh, I'm eating food that, that has been miraculously produced by God Himself. How, how special would you think that this food was? So too for us, how, how much more special is it, is it for us to have not a miraculous physical food, but, but this miraculous spiritual food, which is the very body of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to receive Him in Holy Communion and to have our souls nourished. We have to be like those people in the desert who were famished, they had a huge appetite. They were desiring something to eat. When we approach the communion rail, to, to be aware of, of our spiritual poverty, of our need for, for this nourishment, and to receive our Lord devoutly, and so also truly be transformed by the reception of the most blessed sacrament. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.